Like any other industry, Web3 and crypto has its fair share of conferences. You know, the ones with panel discussions, keynote speakers, swag, company booths, sponsorship branding everywhere, and well, you get the picture. And while I have not admittedly attended a Web3 or crypto-specific conference yet, I've been told by fellow Web3 and crypto community members, including even guests who've joined this podcast, that there are a lot less suits and a lot more experiences that you might not expect at a quote-unquote professional gathering with high-ticket attendance prices. And to build on this notion of unique and curated experiences, this episode's guest, Norman Gabula, will share all about his involvement in helping to create and then executing ETH Safari's inaugural Web3 conference in Kenya. ETH Safari, as Norman shares, is a Web3 conference held in Kenya that brought in attendees from more than 40 countries to discuss how Web3, crypto, NFTs, blockchain, and more will continue to shape not just Kenya or Eastern Africa as a region, but the continent of Africa and beyond. Norman will also share with us his own story of choosing to work on ETH Safari as a volunteer over a paid gig in his more traditional and professional legal path as a lawyer. It's a story that will resonate with many who've decided to take the road less traveled and ended up in the global community of Web3 and crypto. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Norman, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? Hi, Jarrett. I'm really doing great, and it's, uh, it's great to be here today talking to you, though it's so much late in Kenya and the time zone where we are, but I'm really excited to be here today. It's like almost approaching 11. It's approaching midnight, actually, but uh, had to come to this podcast today. We've been talking about getting an episode in for days, and uh, I'm grateful to be here today. I'm doing good. Amazing, and thank you for taking the time. And I will try not to keep you on too long if it is almost midnight. No, no, in no, no, day, no, no. So, don't mind. Not at all. Okay, cool. Well, you and I had met a while back, and I can't exactly remember specifically what it was. Might have been through Not Crypto Bros, but we met on LinkedIn. And we started talking. And one of the things we were talking about at the time was ETH Safari, which has just happened. And I was actually thinking about coming out to ETH Safari. And I'm kind of glad I didn't make that commitment this year because I just had a whole change in my job and where I'm working. And so that transition actually happened during the ETH Safari time. So maybe ETH Safari for next year. But this was ETH Safari's first event, right? So. Can you tell us about how you're tied into ETH Safari and how did the first event go? And I know that that's a lot, so please take your time. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I'm going to probably give you guys a blow-by-blow blow account of how everything started. So I've been involved in the local blockchain space since around 2017, when I was still in my later years of law school. I was in my third year of law school. So just getting to know people, you know, attending all the events. Back in 2017, when we were just having the run-up to the famous bull run, to the famous 25K and uh, 1.5K for Ethereum, that's around the time when I got exposed to the local crypto community. So I made a lot of connections around that time and just got to know people in one capacity or another who are doing cool stuff, building and trying to get off their companies, off, trying to get their companies off the ground. 
So unfortunately, between 2019 and 2020, I wasn't so heavily involved in the scene because I had to sit for the bar and I also had to complete law school. So I took a little bit of a break from the blockchain scene. Fast forward to 2021 when I got done with uh, my studies and I got admitted to practice. But then I realized I was not going, I didn't have an inclination like the rest of my people to, you know, get on the partner track and just be in the law firm and traditional type of practice, litigation and whatnot. I quickly realized that that wasn't for me. So I had been doing a lot of other things in the background right up to the moment when I had left law school. I had already landed an in-house gig. I was a founding member of uh, a fintech that is creating a legal technology platform here for fundraising. So. When I left and uh, once I got back fully into the gig, I got to know a little bit more and got get back in touch and kind of renew my connections with the people in the space. And that was up to around last year when I decided to quit and uh, just kind of venture off on my own and try and find a footing for myself in the Web3 space. So besides that, I had set up a farm at home. I do a bit of planting and my parents have a setup where we are doing something. We are keep we keep poultry and we also keep uh, livestock. We are slowly building up a dairy farm of sorts. So that's what had been keeping me busy up to the time when I quit last year. And early this year, around May, June, I was approached by a couple of enthusiasts sort of crypto people in the space who had been looking forward to doing a conference and they were like we have never done a native web3 conference in the country you know we all have all these sorts of meetups and maybe you find one blockchain is looking to launch a project on the ground so they meet a couple of people maybe developers and whatnot but we've never had an all-encompassing kind of event so why don't we get together and pull it off and that was around may that is when we got in touch with a couple of people who have been doing some other things. We have guys who are CEOs in the space. We have people who have been doing community management. There was about 15 of us. And uh, we just started with what we had. And we started reaching out to people, started reaching out to potential sponsors. And we realized that there was so much goodwill for us to pull off the event. And uh, that's just the TLDR version of it. That's how we got started. Okay. Super cool. I'm okay. So May and June, people came together and they said, we should bring a lot more people from the area together. Yes. I, I'm assuming when I say the area, I'm going to use the region yes. of cool East the Africa. region of, okay, perfect. And then from there, how do you go from wanting to do a conference all the way to doing a conference? Because doing a conference is expensive. It needs a lot of organization. There's a lot of logistics. People come in from all over the world. Who was spearheading that and what role did you play as a lawyer in getting ETH, you know, getting ETH Safari off the ground? Uh, sure. I think I'm going to answer those two aspects. One, it was really interesting how we managed to pull it off because uh, none of us were actually paid for this. Everyone was volunteering from the get-go. But I think it really helped that uh, in one capacity or another, we had been all of us exposed to the blockchain space. We had... Uh, a bit of connections that we were able to build up on and also by virtue of the fact that we received so much interest from the blockchain community. As it were, when we were starting off, we didn't have any funds, but uh, 
most of the people who are involved in the planning have a good reputation in one way or another. I would say not just on the local, and that is the East African blockchain space, but continentally. Uh, we have a couple of CEOs, right? We have people in the media who have been doing media crypto slash blockchain reporting of events. We had people who have been doing community management. We had people who have been doing uh, developer relations. And uh, I think that's what's really helped us to build off and start and get some momentum going. So once we got together, we realized the biggest thing was putting funds together, it was pooling funds. So we came up with a budget, which we thought around that time was going to run up into around 130K, considering the concept that we were trying to pull off, getting people and then organizing them in a boot camp and then getting them on a train and then getting them down to the coast. So it was a really scary experience because uh, in one way or another, we were operating in a leaderless organization, just everyone putting in their best and putting in what they feel they can offer best, the best strengths. For example, on my end, I was really helping out with the contracts and the negotiation for the funding, right? And I was also helping out a lot on the marketing side, on the socials, putting together posters, trying to get out word out, editing videos. And in one way or another, I would say this has also been a good experience because I've just been thrown in on the deep end and I've had to rely on skills that are far, far aside from what I had learned in law school. So I just had to become the quintessential man and pull up every trick that I had in the heart to make this thing come together and to make us achieve the potential of what we saw or what we had seen was going to be for the event. Before we actually dive into the event, because I know the event is very unlike other events because there were multiple different places yes. where the event happened. I actually want to ask you, before we do that, I want to ask you what it was like for your peers and your friends and your family when you said, hey, I'm now a lawyer, but I don't want to go down the partner <laughs> track. I want to do something different. And... Then they see you hosting something called ETH Safari for digital money or internet money or whatever people might consider it to be if you're not in the space. Yeah. What does that look like? And what were some conversations maybe with your parents or your friends or family who were like, hey, Norman, that's kind of weird. What are you doing? You know, Because I think as a lawyer, it's kind of set up. You study, you pass this, this, this exam. And then you try to get on the partner track as you're talking about, right? And then you want to be a partner of a law firm and then you're good. This is kind of like the track that's been laid out. So what were the conversations that they had with you? And they're like, Norman, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to go play with Bitcoin. You're going to go play with Ethereum. What is this? <laughs> now, there's an interesting story actually coming out of all of this. We were supposed to travel to Kilifi and that is Kilifi is down at the coast where, so this is how the event was, break, was broken down. We had a boot camp that started off online right about the middle of September up to, right about the beginning of September up to when we concluded the event. We had a boot camp and then we had, before the boot camp that was in physical, we had a hackathon running for like two weeks, courtesy of one of our partners. And we had the hackathon, we transited on into the boot camp, which was a two-day event to kind of just get people warmed up and psyched up for the main conference which we were supposed to travel down to the Kenyan coast for. So one day before we travel to the coast, I get a phone call from one of my friends. He's like, dude, where are you right now? 
I'm like, uh, I'm at my house. I'm just working on the event that we have. Like, And then he was like, I need you to get dressed up and come to the office right now. We need a commercial associate. And I want to give you, I want to hook you up with this job. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Why is it coming in so urgently? It's like someone quitting on a short notice and uh, we are really desperate. We need to staff we need to staff the commercial department with someone and uh, we're going to give you a crazy offer. So if you can come to the office just right now, 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 in about 30 minutes, take a cab, get dressed and make it here. And I was like, okay, let me hang up and think about it. So I hung up and I was like, wow, what type of trials are this? After I've been putting in about four or five months of work into this event, why is the universe trying to hijack me with such a diversionary offer? So. I really considered it but for about 30 minutes before I called my friend. I was like, dude, uh, I'm playing such an integral role in the organizing of this event and I just can't bail out on the last minute. So is it okay if we talk about this once I come back? He was like, ah, sure, but uh, I'm not so sure the opportunity is going to be around yet. So that was a funny story that happened just right before we traveled for the event. But now, in hindsight, I have no regrets about that because the kind of conversations, the kind of networks, the kind of people that I met at the event. You know, when we started off, we thought we would just have something small, a shindig of about maybe 500, 600 people. We ended up having people traveling from 40 countries across the world, you know, having to coordinate people traveling in from Australia, someone traveling in from as far as Myanmar. And uh, it was crazy. We had people who had been to probably six or seven other Ethereum conferences and what they were telling us, what stood out the most at Eat Safari for them could be described in just two words, barefoot networking. You know, someone say that most of these other international crypto conferences, you go and, uh, you know, everyone has a tag. So when it gets to the time for chatting up, someone looks at your tag and they see, hmm, this is probably someone who is not going to help me. Everyone is really kind of, it's a superficial vibe, you would say. Uh, I would say it's Safari really helped us get over that because we were down at the coast. Everyone is walking barefoot. Everyone is in a sort of toned down, really informal setup. You could be partying with someone yet you don't know this is a CEO of one of the top crypto projects or a VC who is in line to probably help you, help you get set up on your funding. And uh, that was the most outstanding part of it's a for me in as much as uh some one would think i would have used my chance or my legal expertise and prowess to stick to my line or what has been the beaten path for lawyers i do not regret the kind of experiences and the kind of vibe that has come out of me dedicating myself to safari that is easily one of the core stories of web3 and i think that is Web3. People ask me all the time, what is Web3? And I give them kind of a technical, you know, Web1 was read, then there was read and write. This is read, write, and own, and access, and NFTs, and putting stuff on the blockchain. But when I really think about Web3, it's kind of what you talked about, and it's an energy, and it's, a, it's everyone, like you said, barefoot networking. I don't know if you're ever going to create content, if that's in what you want to do in the world, but barefoot networking in Web3 is a podcast that is dying to be written from even just ETH Safari. Just have a podcast go all the way. So anyways, I'm putting putting things out on the table, but barefoot networking is something that's going to stick with me forever because I do think 
when networking just becomes, hey, what are you doing? Oh, this is what I'm doing. Great. How can one and one equal three? It's much better. TradFi or Web2 is, oh, Norman, you work for X company. I meet you and now I'm just trying to use you to get to the next level or use you and your VC money to get to the next. Oh, Norman, you work for this bank. Great. I have this project. Let me tell you about this. Instead of focusing on so many other connections and collaborations that could probably happen that may actually have, honestly, a much longer term effect or ripple effect, if you think of like the butterfly effect. So thank you so much for sharing that. And now if now let's go right to the conference. Can you talk about the logistics? Because I remember when I was looking at the literature you sent me, you had, as you said, from the beginning of September to around mid-September, you had the boot camp. I think it was a coding boot camp. You had and the then, hackathon. The hackathon, excuse me, excuse me. And then you had some other events that were not on the coast, but then people took a train to go to the coast for a whole nother kind of chapter of the overall conference. Can you break down how that works? Because I think that is exceedingly unique when I think about Bitcoin conference, I think about sure. permissionless, I think about any other things I've heard in Web3. Um, I think... Uh... If we're talking about the sequence of events, the way I explained earlier, we started off with an online hackathon, courtesy of our partners called Encode. Encode have been doing hackathons for the longest time. You probably have heard of them, but uh, we partnered with them to get that started. And uh, that started off at right about the beginning, right about the middle of September, right about the middle of, that about the beginning of September, sorry, and we intended it to run to three weeks. And we had the demo day and the final announcement of the winners at the apex of the conference. So we started off with the hackathon, and then we had a, a two-day in real-life boot camp to just kind of hype up the people and set the tone for what was going to be the main conference. And we traveled from Nairobi on Thursday. We took a train, and we had the conference on Friday and Saturday. And on Sunday, everyone was folding off to leave for whatever their destinations were. and. If I just tell you the truth, so many people stayed behind because they were enthralled by what they saw in Kilifi and in Nairobi. We have a couple of builders who are still around and helping us in our circuit, doing more events, and they're just really mesmerized by the vibe of what we have to offer. However, just back to what you had asked about logistics. Indeed, it was really difficult putting all of this together because for one, None of us has ever done, none of us had ever conducted a conference of such proportions before. So we were just really trying it out and just putting the space. We were just putting everything together and everyone was just trying to chip in their best effort. But uh, just kind of going back to what we had talked about previously, the best part of it is that uh, everything indeed turned out well, aside from the highlight of us being on the train, for example, was the fact that uh, we had all these people from different cultures, different countries, working on different projects, and uh, none of you knows each other. You've all been booked in randomly on different carriages on the train. So, you know, regardless of what you are doing, six hours of a worth of a ride, you have to talk to each other. And people came out when we sent out the feedback form. That's what they were saying. They were like, this whole idea of putting us on the train was probably the best idea ever because aside from aside from us being able to travel through the deepest parts of the country, see wildlife, and just be on this 
amenity that we've never been on before, we were forced to kind of just group up together and get to know each other a little bit more. And that formed the basis for deeper friendships and deeper connections as people were headed down towards uh, the conference. We were really grateful for the train because uh, everybody managed to get a chance to see or know what the other person was doing. And it was so crazy because we had two trains, right? We had two trains and the guys left. There's a batch that left in the morning and there's a batch that left in the afternoon. But up to 30 minutes before the afternoon train left, we still had people dialing us down. We want to travel. We want to travel. What can we do? What can we do? Can we still get to the train at, at this particular moment? Can we book? But it was a little too late. So some of those people had to fly down to the coast. And then that is where they met us. That's where they met us down there. But the bulk of the conference was down at the coast. We had three stages where we had different sorts of workshops and panel discussions. And at the end on Saturday, we had this mega party. And it was so crazy because majority of the artists who were performing during the day, you find someone is a CEO doing a serious pitch about ZK snacks or some bullshit. And then at night, you find that this person is the main performer at the stage. So that was also that also contributed to the whole experience, I would say. The majority of the lineup that performed was consisted of people who were at the event in one capacity or another. I think uh, episode, I believe it was episode 21 with Brandon Tory, where we talked about Web3 is kind of where you mix your professional thing that you're following and then the thing that you love. And this kind of gets into the Ikigai theory of do what you love do what you're good at, do what the world needs and do what people will pay you for. And I really think that that's kind of like web three. So I think it's really cool that you were able to somebody throughout the day is a CEO. And then at night they are the lead singer in a band that seems like the most web three ever because humans are complex. We have so many different talents and I do feel like in the more web two, and I'm using air quotes, office space, a traditional office space that maybe wasn't explored as much. I think our generations and just younger generations, you're starting to see a little bit more diversity of like, well, yes, that person codes during the day, but you also know they do X, Y, and Z at night. And that's really cool. How can we bring that into the coding and you know allow that diversity to kind of flourish? Looking at Eat Safari, how many people are you keeping in contact with? I'm assuming a lot. And... How are you keeping in contact with them? Are you guys going to create, is there a Discord? Is there a WhatsApp? What does that look like? Because I'm sure you've met people from all around the world and they want to be like, Norman, how do we keep in touch with you? Is that on LinkedIn? I'm just, I'm just so curious because I've never gone to, A, I've never gone to Web3 Conference. I'm going to go to many this year or in 2023. A, I've never gone. And then B, I'm just so interested to know, is it WhatsApp groups? Is it Discord? Is it Telegram? Is it LinkedIn? How are you keeping in touch with people? Okay, yes, sure. Uh, right before we started the preparation for the event, we had all our socials up. So we are available on Twitter. We are available on LinkedIn. We also have uh, a Discord. And then we have our Telegram and our WhatsApp group. But I would say by far the most active ones are our Telegram and our Twitter. Those ones are the most active by this moment. Uh, but uh, besides that, uh, I agree with what you said. Yes, we definitely had so many connections arising out of this event and we are doing a lot to try and keep up with them. For one, we have uh, 
part of the people who are giving us sponsorships, you know, so many other projects that are intending to rise up or doing one thing or another in the Web3 space. These people have reached out to us in their capacity to try and partner with some of the projects that they have ongoing. For example, we have some of the people who had sponsored us. Filecoin, for example, has a plan. They are working on something to engage uh, developers here in Kenya at the university level to try and just kind of get them more exposed to the Web3 space, right? We have uh, other initiatives that are going towards building something within the Web3 and environmental space. We have so many other guys who have monthly meetups, right? And uh, they are really invo they're involving us in planning and preparation and just getting the community together. Besides that, we are also thinking up of other initiatives arising out of the conference itself. For example, I told you it was a beautiful experience in that we got to meet so many artists. We find we had DJs, we had percussion instrumentalists, we had people who are doing NFT art. So we are thinking of doing an ensemble and doing one mega album for next year and dropping it as an NFT so that we showcase real life users of these things and coming out of the community itself. Another thing we are thinking about doing is uh, we are looking into developing a podcast, right? Podcast just to keep the community in touch and build up on the success and the strength of what we have. So when you mentioned that, yes, it's a good thing. That's something that we're already thinking of. Besides that, we are thinking of ways to look for grants, and other avenues of funding to try and bring in more projects to the local communities for where we are going to be hosting the events. We have so many people who are trying to find ways of doing tokenization and just real life use cases for blockchain, for local communities. And we're trying to bring everyone together in under one umbrella so that we can use these and much more to build momentum for the future. Maybe in future, when we get to inviting a richer panel, a wider audience, and a bigger subset of people from the whole world, it's going to marry in with what you're trying to build and expose the work that you're doing more to the world and have more people co-sign on that. I read in the PDF, I believe in the PDF that you sent me over, it said that little to no local businesses, I believe in Nairobi, accept cryptocurrency. And so I was wondering, I was super curious about how Kenya as a whole, and then probably Nairobi as a focal point, where are they on blockchain? Is there acceptance? Is there not? Is there curiosity? Is there interest? And I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm trying to better understand what the local feel is for these types of things, for an, a tokenization project, for an NFT project, for the grants. Would you be looking for that money? from outside of Africa, outside of Kenya, outside of Nairobi? Or are there local people that, local VCs, local banks, local places where you guys could go get a loan to be able to leverage you know, financing to be able to support a project? Okay, I would say at the country right now, there is a lot of interest and a lot of speculation. Kenya has consistently ranked alongside Nigeria in the the African amount of levels of, use, of user adoption. And that's something that we have seen. We have realized that we have such a niche Web3 community 
but we have realized also that the community has been growing and we are, have much more people and more products and more speculators than we had in 2017. Uh, besides that, our government has, has been actually kind of a bit more relaxed on crypto. Uh, aside from what we had, which was a, a blanket order from the central bank, that is the main regulator, towards uh, other regulated institutions against uh, using their services as an on-ramp or off-ramp for crypto. We've still found numerous ways to go around it. For example, P2P trading is at an all-time high. Peer-to-peer -peer trading is really high. And we had even a segment during the conference for traders to speak about what the kind of experience has been. So another reason for that has also been the fact that uh, the dollar has been the Kenya shilling has been really depreciating hard against the dollar. So it's really difficult for you to get uh, hard cash, liquid dollars, right? Uh, that has been one more reason to push people towards crypto. But we have realized the biggest type of adoption per se has been within the tech community, especially within the developer community and the people who are building payment rails and uh, remittance products because that has been one major 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 use case for us on the continent but uh, we are also witnessing a situation whereby the regulator is speaking of doing a framework that is going to be a little bit more clearer for people on the ground and we hope that this is going to increase more interest and besides that we also hope it's going to bring in much more funding and more people who have been experienced with the developing in the ecosystem and that we hope is going to propel us much more ahead. There is a definite, there is a lot of space. There is room for growth in crypto and there is a definite use case. And as it is, we are seeing a lot of adoption and we are anticipating that in five years from now, you're going to be way, way, way ahead of what we have at the moment. That's absolutely amazing to hear. And I want to also say that like, I'm currently in Massachusetts outside of Boston. And there's almost no place that accepts crypto here. So I also want to say that just because no place accepts crypto doesn't mean that people aren't using crypto. And it's kind of what you're talking about in Nairobi, which is like the users, there are a lot of individuals that are using crypto and buying and engaging crypto. And I love the P2P. My first delve into P2P was when I was in Colombia and it was through Binance. And I believe that that was something you outlined on the PDF about yes. the Safari where people are using that. And I think that's a really cool thing because I think if you think about Satoshi's white paper, it was all P2P. The idea of having a centralized exchange even to go and get Bitcoin, like a Coinbase or even a Binance is weird. So the fact that Binance, however, is being a space where people can do P2P, that's super cool. And you've mentioned payment rails and you've mentioned remittances. And I guess we could just say cross-border payments if you yes. want. What's something else that you think would be a really great use case? If you came to me and you're like, hey, I need a million dollars. And I just happen to have a million dollars, right? Because whatever. And I gave it to you. What kind of, what's something you would like to create that would be perfectly contextual and would be a real life use case that people would immediately gravitate to? Like they may not gravitate towards crypto or blockchain, but if you had this, they would be like, oh yeah, that's a real world solution to a real world problem. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, I think this also goes in into one of the biggest opportunities or avenues that are there for blockchain on the continent and also just in the country, right? And this is in terms of in terms of the lending, in terms of lending, the lending business, 
getting acquiring loans. It's really difficult for people to acquire loans here on the continent because of a plethora of problems that you probably have had being listed out. People do not have identification, right? The rates are just crazy. And sometimes the requirements to open up a bank account are not attainable to everyone. You need to have sometimes a standing amount in the bank and all that. So the system as it is favors some people, but a majority of the people, it's not really working out for them. Now, I was listening to a podcast today is this podcast I listened to by this guy called Naval, and he was saying society sometimes society society doesn't know what it needs. It just needs a thought leader at times to create something and show it out to society and let them know that this is actually what you've been missing. This is how you've been doing things the traditional way, but you did not know that this was a better solution up until I came up with it. So. I would just go directly to the lending industry. Loans, microloans and mobile loans have become a menace around, not just in this country, but on the continent because of poor regulation, you know. So you end up finding exorbitant interest rates that catch people in a continuous cycle of borrowing and lending, and you find that it ends nowhere. So I think that smart contracts and the decentralized finance industry and all these ledgers. I think this is one hugely underlooked area that is a potential for the growth of this in, for the growth of this technology and for the implementation of proper impact on the continent. That's one place I'm putting my bet on. I think that's a really great bet because if you need money, you need money. So you may do what you need to do today, not worrying about tomorrow. But the problem is tomorrow you're part of a vicious cycle. Exactly. I think this is something we're going to see the world over because I was talking with friends recently here and there's so many now opportunities when you go to buy something to pay in 17 installments or to put it on a credit card or to have access and in kind of in some way it's like you're saying there's no access to credit but at the same time there's too much access to bad credit so smart contracts putting things in the blockchain very very cool are people do building things like that currently right now in East Africa, in Kenya, in Nairobi? Are there things that you saw from the conference that you think would be, you know, that if you had the money and you were the VC, that you would put your money behind because you do think it solves a real world problem? Yes. Um, I've seen a couple of people who are beginning to experiment with that. I would say the earliest use cases that most builders have flocked to with regards to Web3 have been on remittances because, to be honest, no one has been able to crack the problem of seamless cross-border transactions at fractions of a fee and that is being able to be done across the entire continent. So that's where most people have been able to gravitate towards. The only drawback to that has been the fact that so many of these countries are, do not have clear regulatory frameworks to enable people to navigate. But uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be the next frontier, decentralized finance, especially access to loans and capitals for expanding businesses, right? That is something that, uh, even from my experience at the conference, I feel has been underexplored and I feel is likely to be the next kind of big thing that uh, we are going to look forward to. If you had 
I just use a million dollars because it's just everyone's thought about a million dollars. I'm sure at one point in their time. But if you had a million dollars and you were going to give it to a project that you totally believed in, that was a DeFi project, local project started by local developers, how would you structure the smart contract in a way that's going to support them, but also allow them to get liquidity? And I'm not sure if that makes sense, but how would you structure the smart contract? How would you structure essentially the terms that would be put into the, into the contract? At this particular moment, I don't think if I would go directly to having the funds being shared out via a smart contract, right? Because as I have said, there has been a lot of regulatory lack of clarity that uh, we would not be able to know what kind of gray areas are there with regards to smart contracts and whatnot. So probably having someone with a million dollars, they would want a little bit more surety, especially with regards to what would I say? They would insurance if in case something goes wrong. However, I would have it this way. I would probably, if I had a million dollars, I would do a fund and spread it out 10 ways and have 100K and give it out to 10 promising projects and see how they would strap and the kind of efficiency that they build up in a six, maybe in a 10 to 18 month, in a in a six to 12 month runway, I would see what kind of exciting products they're able to build out, out of that. But I would probably go about it the traditional structuring VC finance way rather than doing a smart contract at the moment with what I have seen and experienced. Okay, cool. And what would need to change for you to think about putting it on a smart contract? I believe what would need to change besides the laws is I would need to see a project that has found a unique way of having all of this work in the background without there being too much friction and uh, without it having, I would give it out to the people whom I would convince me that they have implemented it in such a way that it is seamless. For example, I would give, I would give a brief story about a product, a financial product that has, that has put Kenya on the map, M-Pesa, right? When I recall how how far M-Pesa has come from the past eight, seven years or so, at first, when you would have people transacting on M-Pesa, they would think it was a scam. You know, it has taken so much, it has taken a lot of time in the market and use for it to become a product that you use without thinking, you know, kind of comes like second nature to you. So that is the kind of product that I would really probably anticipate to give such an amount of money. I don't know if this answers the question. It's a perfect answer because that is, I think, where we're going. You've been in crypto since 2017 as a, you know, we both came in in the same bull run and we we're like, whoa, what is this thing? This is like some crazy world that we didn't even know existed, but it's all around us. But that makes perfect sense. That is, I believe, the way it's all going where people are going to end up using NFTs, using blockchain, using decentralized finance using these different products without even knowing it. Just like everyday people, you know, use something I'm sure that they're not even aware of. I mean, I'm not a coder and maybe you're not a coder either, but we use code all the time, but I don't think about the code. I'm just using it. So I totally think that that's the future. Right now, among the P2P traders, what is the cryptocurrency that is most traded in your opinion? Bitcoin and Ethereum. Exclusively, those two? Not exclusively. Those are the most traded, but uh, people are playing around with almost everything. But uh, the most traded Bitcoin 
and Ethereum, then I would dare say Solana, the third. And Solana is also quite popular in Nigeria too. I have a friend of mine who attained financial, financial freedom just courtesy of Solana. So I also know a, a lot of other people who have been playing around with Solana, Solana NFTs. And uh, besides Bitcoin and Ethereum, I would say Solana. That's the most popular. Solana NFTs, I think, are going to be a big boom in 2024, 2025. I just think people are going to dive into them. I still think it's going to be cheap per coin. And I am think that that's where people are going to go. Have you dove into any of these Solana NFTs? Not exactly, but uh, I have just been checking around the Solana network as a, as a whole. I've not dived particularly into any of the NFTs. Um, I remember when the marketplace launched and then how things have been going down, but I have not really taken a deeper dive into the Solana ecosystem. I probably, before I forget, another player who has been really making moves and who is also widely recognized, not just on the continent, but also in the country, is Binance, right? Binance have been really setting a foot in this country. We have billboards everywhere. We have segments on the local radio where you hear from them. And I think also they have managed a way to engage. They've managed to hire people who really understand the ins and outs of the blockchain ecosystem as it is and the best ways to kind of position Binance for growth. So that's another thing about Binance uh, on the continent and in the country. They're really making huge leaps and they're probably, it's going to be a little bit harder for anyone else who comes in much later to reclaim the space that they have had. Besides Binance, I'm also seeing FTX making moves into the continent. They have started off with Nigeria, which is understandable because Nigeria has a bigger population of crypto users than Kenya. And it also has a larger sample size of people. But uh, aside from FTX, Binance is really making moves on the ground. For ETH Safari 2023, is there a possibility about of getting Binance as a sponsor? Hopefully. We hopefully are going to engage them. With this year's experience, we were not able to get to them in time for them to set up the whole process behind sponsorship and approvals, the back and forth with the legal and whatnot. But uh, actually a crazy story. Up to about six weeks before the event, we had a budget up to around 130K, but we only had 10K committed six weeks before the event. <laughs> And it was almost getting tough. The spirit was almost, you know, the psych was getting low and whatnot. But once Polygon put down the 10K that they had promised, it was a smooth sailing. And we almost had formal from sponsors towards the end. And uh, it's good because we managed to deliver despite all the shortcomings we had. And uh, a lot of the sponsors we had are also talking about doubling down on next year. So. This is something that we are really looking forward to and just ways of making sure that the next year's event is much bigger and much better and much more streamlined. As we kind of come to close, I, I want to make sure you have the chance to shout out everything because you've talked about you guys have Twitter, Discord, Telegram. Can you take time and talk about two things? One, where people can learn more about ETH Safari and all the social media. And then also where people can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you more about Anything that you've spoken about today and learn more about ETH Safari from you directly? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. As I've told you people, we already have vibrant social media communities moving on. On Twitter, you can find us at ETH Safari. Just at ETH Safari is the first one you're going to find. Our unifying 
our unique logo is a, zeb a zebra unicorn, right? <laughs> so the zebra is uh, one of the biggest tourist highlights we have here in the bush. So we thought, why not do a zebra unicorn? <laughs> so Twitter, Eat Safari, LinkedIn, Eat Safari, Telegram. We have, once you go to our Twitter page, we have our Telegram and our Discord pinned there. Same for the LinkedIn. So those are the places where you can reach us most easily. I'm most active on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Norman Gabula. You're going to see someone with loyally regalia and a robe and whatnot. So that's me. I'm looking forward to catching up with you there. Norman, this has been so great. Let's keep in touch. Also, I'm super open to support you and eSafari. And I'll speak for Jay Harris and Grant Nadu from Not Crypto Bros. We would love to help you guys curate, figure out, produce a podcast throughout these next eight to nine months before the next year's East Safari, because I think that there's no better way to kind of get your message out there and let it live out in the internet and people can check it out. So I think Barefoot Networking could be the name. We'll see. But thank you so much for hopping on. Barefoot Networking is the signature. I think uh, that's the best. That is the biggest highlight about uh, East Safari. It's a crypto, it's a conference, but it's a little bit toned down. And since we are, no, we are just a meter away from the beach, all the events are laid back and uh, we are just trying to bring a different vibe to crypto conferences than what you're going to see in your normal everyday events. So really grateful for that. And you're also looking forward to partnering and hopefully we're going to see you guys for the next edition. I'm pretty sure one or all of us will be there. It's going to be very exciting. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to check out this episode's show notes to get in contact with Norman and learn more about ETH Safari. Please follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain and check out our website at morethanblockchain.xyz to learn more about Web3 and crypto. As always, please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode's link with a friend, colleague, or family member who might be interested to learn more about Norman and see what's going on with ETH Safari. Thanks again for checking out More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.